Once again, welcome, Forever Family, my Machias. What a beautiful day. I know it's kind of warm. I like it. Uh, I think Carol came in that one cloudy day we had. I was in my office working on my sermon. Opens the door. Man, it's hot in here. You have no ventilation? No, I have my heater on. <laughs> and I put it close. So I'm not, I, can't, I can't commiserate with you about the heat, sort of. There's a different kind of heat, though, the heat from life. How many of you remember the television series, I believe it was from the 70s, maybe into the 80s, The Six Million Dollar Man? Steve Austin in a major crash in an aircraft, and they said, we have the technology to rebuild him bigger, stronger, faster than he was before. Rick. <laughs> and so Rick had a hip replacement this week, and here he is. I saw him even standing up <laughs> on his way to becoming the $6 million man. We're waiting for that bionic arm. We love you, Rick. So glad you're here. Man. The, 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 just the marvels of, of technology and medicine to have your hip replaced and still and be here the same week. That's so incredible. So uh, even though I should tell the story, I'm going to tell him the story. He was scheduled to have it on Monday, and he fell off the bed and hit his head, and they put it off. <laughs> anyway, they did it the next day, I believe, on Tuesday. So, yeah. Okay, Wednesday maybe, yeah. So what a wonderful thing. Um, I need the kids. We desperately need the kids this time. <clears throat> I got to just tell you, I had a rough time. I've had a rough time with this one, this sermon, and this passage, which we're going to be talking about soon, for a lot of different reasons, and, and a lot of information has been swirling around in my head and I'm trying to figure out which parts of those do I really want to share with you. Does God want you to hear today? Hopefully, we'll be there. We'll get there in, in, a, in a reasonable amount of time. Um, okay, what is this? What is it? How many of you played it? Raise your hand if you played it. Shoots and ladders. Shoots and ladders, yeah. Ladders, ladders, but ladders, yeah. So, it's how many of you like games? You like to play games? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have you? How many of you like this game in particular? You are, you you have no idea. You just have no idea. Okay, so this is the parts. So what are the? Oh man, I dropped a couple of them. No, well I'll never find that one again. Okay, what? Never mind. Okay, so there's two of them that actually now have bases on them. What are those? What are what are they? What are they? These are the little playing pieces, but they have pictures of what on them? People, because it's you. <laughs> you have no idea this is how your life is going to work. I know. I've lived enough of it to know. Now, my wife would tell you, I mean, this is like to play this game with your kids, right? With your grandkids and stuff. It's got this little spinner. Why don't you guys all sit down real quick? So everybody can see up above. And we're going to talk about this. It's got this little spinner, right? Somebody spin it. Somebody spin it for me. You can get up and spin it. There you go. i got to get my finger out of the way. Try it again. You spin it, and then what happens when you spin it? It, it lands on a number, 
And that's how many spaces you get to go, right? And you win. And you, yes! You win. You win. And that's the point of it, right? The point of it is one person is going to win. Now, here's the bad news for you. This is what your life is going to be like. I know because I've lived it long enough. You're going to start out, and you're going to think, hey, life is pretty good. You know, I got this little ladder, and choo, 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 choo. I get up here, and I'm getting closer to winning. And then, oh, oh, and I'm going to try to keep, I'm going to keep spinning. And it seems like this number I get is just kind of random. It's random. I have no control over it. But so I could be here, and if I got, the, you know, this number, I could go up. But if somehow I spin this number, I'm going to go down again. And you're going to go through your life, and, and, and guess what? You're going to think it's all random, and I don't understand. Why did this thing come up? You know, here I was just really doing good in sports, playing soccer, and then, ah, oh, I broke my ankle, and I got, had to sit at home. Life is going to be a whole bunch of those kinds of things. Um, I will tell on myself, I have witnesses or people who will rat me out. I do not do well with games that have frustration involved. Um, I'm not kidding. When I get up here and I hit this, this long one, and I, I think, man... Life is pretty good. I'm getting close to being the winner. And then, it ruins me. And maybe it's because I've just encountered a lot of frustration in my life. Not, you know, not like everybody, unlike everybody. But my wife will tell you I don't do well. In fact, so I quit playing games that have these kinds of things where you get close to winning. And then, so. Here's my point. What if, what if you're going through all this, but you know at the end of the game, I win? No matter how many times you go down and you think, oh, look, everybody's getting ahead of me, and there's no possible way I could ever win this game. What if, but what if I told you? Yeah. That's right. That one right there would take you way back up again, right? Okay. What if I told you? You win. Before you even started the game and you got up to here and you went all the way down here, you think, oh, I'm so disappointed. I'm so frustrated. Life is so hard. But what if I told you I know the end of the story? What if we said, I know the end of this game before I even start it and I end up here and I'm the winner? Would that make it easier to deal with going back down if you say, oh, I don't care if I go back down because I know in the end I win. Would that make it easier to play the game? It would for me. One of the things that we're going to... One hundred, right? And you're the winner. What I know is when you have Jesus as your Savior, you get to 100. You get to that one and you win. And God says, in your life, things are going to be tough at times, but have hope that 
the end of the game is assured, and not just one person that plays wins, but everybody who plays with Jesus as their Savior wins in the end. And we have to think about that sometimes when life is hard. When you break your ankle and you can't play soccer. When you spend all night doing your homework and you lose it on the way to school on the bus. Yeah, when things don't go right. When your dog dies. You've got to remember that there's hope, right? And that's what God tells us in the Bible. That even though the game is hard and you have lots of ladders and shoots, in the end you win. And that's the hope we have. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I know that's hard, isn't it? Okay, we'll see you guys downstairs. I think today is their downstairs day. Yeah. <clears throat> this is your sermon. This is your sermon. Just like your kids, you can start off. I don't know if I've ever gotten that one, starting off right away. Well, let's just say I do, and then I get you know, over to here, and I get diagnosed with terminal cancer. Or I get up to this one, and I go up here, and then I find out my child was killed in an automobile accident. Or... I'm, I'm going along, and I, I get a couple successes, and then I find out my spouse has been unfaithful, and my life falls apart. Or one of my kids is addicted to drugs. Or any of the other numbers of things that life can throw at us at any point that are extremely discouraging. And we need hope. We need encouragement. We need to know the end of the story so that we can survive the game, the shoots of the game. It's pretty easy to survive the ladders, isn't it? We feel pretty good. I can do this life thing, God. And then you take your eyes off the ball for a second, and there comes the next shoot, and down you go. It's so discouraging, and, and here we are living in a world that is wrought with shoots. Some ladders, lots of shoots. How do we deal with that as Christians? How, how are we sharing it? We're, we're going to have this community picnic. The world is desperate for any kind of hope and joy and peace that God knows is only available from Him because He designed us that way. We're broken. Our world is broken. Satan is here with practicing his things in this earth, trying to destroy the kingdom of God, one of which is you if you're a believer and, and he's after you. And then you're stuck with this rotten sin nature that keeps wanting to do things contrary to God. So I'm looking for peace, internal peace, peace with God, peace with the world. And there's only one answer. It's to have Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
Does that mean there's no shoots? No. No. Lots, lots of shoots. A few ladders now and then. Lots of shoots. But he says, have hope. Have hope that you know the end of the game and that it's wonderful. You don't just get a win and just walk away and say, okay, one shoots and ladders. Oh, life's still hard. No, no, no. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. We don't have to walk very far out into this neighborhood to find people who have no hope. I'm hoping that you will invite someone to come so that Machias Community Church as a whole, not just me, not just the elders, not just the, the, the deacons or the deacon, but as a whole, we understand the commission that God has given us to take that hope and peace and joy that he has given us as a gift and share it with others that need it so, so desperately. Invite someone. If you have a hard time talking to people about your faith, at least invite them to the picnic and I'll do it. And then sign up for the class starting in, which we don't know yet in September, of how do I share my faith in a postmodern world. And then you can do it yourself. We have today these passages. We did one last week talking about an event, which we're going to read again. And then again today, the day of the Lord. God is giving us some inkling of how the end of the story plays out. And we're going to be asking ourselves, why? Why is he giving us this? And why is he not giving us more? And what am I supposed to do with it? Okay, we're going to talk about that because... ah. We stink at this. We've been hardwired by God to be thinkers, deep thinkers. As a result of that, we can't leave anything alone. And, and, and we get some information and we want to know, okay, when exactly is this going to happen? And how does it all work out? How does each step fit into it? And exactly what does this mean for me? And we can't let it go. And so we see some of these, some of these things about end times or eschatology, as, as the biblical term is. And there's lots of different views, and we just can't resist this thing because God's wired, hardwired us to be thinkers and to question and to ask and to uh, review. And, and, and we just, we got to get, okay, I got to know, I have to know how this works. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we have to know? What, 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 what in your mind is like, I, I really need to know exactly how this end thing works out. You knew my sermon. That is exactly right. There's only one reason is we want to control it. You think God is not in control of how this all ends up in the end? And yet there's all these different views, and Christians go, bam, 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 bam. I had this view. You must be wrong. Bam, bam, bam. No, we're not supposed to divide over this stuff. Um, how many of you think in the ancient world uh, that all of the prophecies prophesying the 
first coming of Jesus were totally understood, and they said, oh, yeah, it's going to happen in Bethlehem, and this year it's going to be this guy, they're going to live, he's going to be born in this stable right here, this is exactly how it's going to happen. Do you think anybody knew? No. How did they find out? Angels came and told them. I mean, it's like, hey, the Messiah's coming. We all think the Messiah's coming. Like, what time? I don't know. Maybe your lifetime. Maybe not. Um, the Messiah's coming, though. And you kind of think it's going to look like this. And then it happens exactly the way it was prophesied. Then, finally, then, I get it now, after the fact. So, did God give us end-time prophecy so we could figure it all out ahead of time and be in control of what's going to happen? And yes, I know what's going to don't go there. Don't go there. What it has been designed to do, it's interesting. I love eschatology. I, I, I studied all the different views. I think I have a pretty good idea of what each one of these views is saying. And they're about, okay, when is this rapture thing, when does it happen exactly? Is it this, era, this point in time, this point in time, this point in time? Is it going to be this time? Is it going to be this? And then what about the millennium? Is it here or there? And, and is, it, is Jesus going to come back here, this in the middle or after or the, or the tribulation? Oh, well, let me think. Is, is it middle of the tribulation or end of the tribulation? We got all these end time things. We have to figure it all out. I'm going to tell you right now in Scripture, they are there for one main reason. Two, two main reasons. One, this ends. Thank you, God. Tomorrow would be good. This ends, life as we know it ends, because like in the Shoots and Ladders game, that's the reward, that's the hope. We win. One, that's it, this ends. Two, you've got a lot of things that give you hope and encouragement. I'm going to tell you the end of the story some. I'm going to leave some things obscure and some things like hard to understand, and there's going to be a lot of symbols I'm not giving it to you so that you can unravel the puzzle and be in control of events. No, I'm giving it to you so that as it happens, you can say, yes, God's in control. And two, before it happens, don't I have a lot of hope? I know where I'm going, and I know how this all ends up, and I am good no matter how many shoots I go down in my life. That's why this sermon was so hard is because we get wrapped up in the events and their sequence and how exactly it's going to happen instead of basking in the hope that God gives us. You have hope. The rest of the world has zero. Think about that for a while. We had a tough week in our family. And I needed to rely on this once again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. For a little while, in these things, as all the things, all the hopeful things, in these things rejoice, even though for a little while, if necessary, you had to endure trials of various kinds. So that it will refine your faith as in fire, so you will come into hope and glory at the coming of Christ. I don't know what your life was like. This, I, mean, I didn't get my hip replaced like, like Rick. But something's probably going on, and you need hope. And that's what these are for. So we actually could get to the passage and preach the sermon. What's the day of the Lord got to do with it? So it's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. See, here's the deal. 
Life is hard. We're broken. We're going to go to the Word of God for a word of hope and encouragement, at least for us. We're going to see that, at least for us. You know, this day, this day of the Lord, it's not going to be a good day for some. So let's start. And I've got it in four different ways. What is the day of the Lord and when's it going to happen? Let me get to my notes here again. When's it going to happen? Who we are already makes all the difference. And since we are who we are, what should we be doing with this information? And the day of the Lord is hope and encouragement for us, but really bad news for everybody else. Okay. The day of the Lord. When is it going to happen? <laughs> if you listen to sort of the introduction to the sermon, you'll recognize that I'm not going to obsess a lot about this. I'm not going to try to give you some secret information so that you can identify exactly when Jesus is coming back or the exact sequence of things that have to happen before Jesus comes back because we are going to see in a couple different instances why that is not necessary. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. What's he saying? Now, the times is the exact, the ex- means in Greek, the exact time. There is now concerning the exact time and the season or kind of the, the relative time, w- w- when about is gonna, this going to happen? You know, like, okay, are we in the last days? Are we, are we in the last hour of the last day? How close are we? You know, exactly when is it going to come or how close are we? I don't need to write to you about that. And in fact, you don't already, because he says in two, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So he's already saying, I I understand that you want to know about this day of the Lord. And I want want you to know, uh, you want to know when it happens, but I'm telling you, and I've already told you, you already are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. How many of you ever saw the movie, I grew up with this, The Thief in the Night? It was circulating around churches, and it was all about the secret rapture of the church, and I was scared to death. What is this really saying? We don't know. That's exactly right. We don't know. In fact, Jesus himself has some words on this in Matthew 24. And it goes like this. But that day and hour no man knows. No, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. For as in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage right up to the day that they shut the door... And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus himself says, hey, I don't know. Now, in his humanity, he may have learned later, but in his humanity at that time, he says, I don't know. This is for the Father. But here's what I do know. Just like when the flood came right up to the time that they shut the door, 
people were like, hey, what's going on? I don't get it. So maybe, maybe we start, time-wise here, maybe we start with what exactly is the day of the Lord? How many of you have heard the term, the day of the Lord? In this particular instance, it's referring to one thing. But do you know that the day of the Lord, not in that exact term, but in many instances, it's exactly the day of the Lord, occurs in the Old Testament. The prophets talk about it. Jesus talked about it. Paul talks about it. Peter talked about it. There are a number of references in the Old Testament to the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord mean? In, in the broader spectrum, just so you don't get confused if you hear other talks about the day of the Lord, it is divine intervention and in God's supernatural judgment and defeat of his enemies, including those who claim to be his children but are not. Okay, so have there been other days of the Lord? Yeah, the flood's one of them. Does that fit the description? Yeah. God supernaturally intervenes into the dealings of mankind to judge those who are not his. Okay, so that was the day of the Lord. Now, you could say, it, was there any good in it? What happened? What happened? What, what was the outcome of that? We win, but what did God do? He purified the earth again, said, I'm starting over, basically with eight people. Eight out of, I think, 3.5 million or something they de determined were on the earth at the time. I'm, I'm, it's a do-over, a reset, and I'm going to start. And so I, I'm judging those that are not mine. And do and you think maybe there were believers? I don't know. Other than the eight, was, was it only eight on the earth? I don't know. Could, it, could, it, could some of the others have been swept up in the wrath that God was pouring out on the earth? Could it be? We don't know for sure. But, um, you know, no. I mean, he was geographically located. I'm not sure he preached the message of the coming flood throughout the entire known world that every human being born heard it. But in God's plan, he had ordained that Noah and his three daughters and their son and their, their husbands, his son-in-laws, were going to be the only eight that started this whole thing over again. That was a day of the Lord. Uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, they figure, was a day of the Lord back in 587 B.C. Or, 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 and then the second destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. I studied that this week. It's very interesting. It's got an enormously interesting history. You should read it. That was another day of the Lord. It fits the description, and so there have been numerous. It's mentioned 200 and some times in the Old Testament that there is a day where God intervenes and makes things right, punishes those who are not his, rewards those who are. So there are lots of days of the Lord you could refer to, but it's very clear if we go back to the first passage there, and let me read it in chapter 4, which we did last time starting in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as those who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, Jesus, through God, will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep or who have already died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead will cry in Christ will rise first, be resurrected. Then we who are still alive, which in the end didn't turn out to be him, because he died too, and Jesus hasn't returned yet, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet them in the air, and so we will be always with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So then we might read then this passage. Now, concerning the times and seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So when he's talking about the day of the Lord, is he talking about the destruction of Jerusalem or the flood? No. He's very clearly talking about what we would call the second coming of Christ. Okay, so this is the biggie, this is the big day of the Lord, but it, it's interesting to see, and again, without trying to give you a particular view of eschatology that I think is right, they're connecting the two things together, okay? The rapture, or Jesus returning, and the resurrection of the saints who have died, and the changing and the twinkling of an eye of those who are still alive, and the day of the Lord. They're connected by these two passages. Because some, some thoughts of eschatology say Jesus is coming back and then a, a huge time later is the day of the Lord when there's going to be the final judgment. Okay. But, but know that the two are connected. Jesus comes back and there's the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord we know is judgment against those who are God's enemies and reward for those who are his children. Okay, so that's, that's what we're talking about. These two events are being described in, in Thessalonians. So he's saying, I don't need to talk to you or write to you regarding exactly when this is going to happen because I've already spoken to you about it. You already know, you're fully aware that it's going to happen like the thief in the night, meaning you are not going to understand when it's coming. It will be somewhat of somewhat... We're going to see later why. Is somewhat a surprise. Just like the people who didn't make it into the ark, destruction came upon them completely out of nowhere, and they didn't see it coming, and they weren't expecting it. In fact, they were expecting everything to just go on the way it was. Is that us? No. Not us. While people are saying peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Okay, so he's telling them not when it's going to happen, not what season it's going to happen, but here is what's going to happen. Not when, but what. What's going to happen is destruction is going to come upon those who don't belong to Jesus. But we're going to find out that's not us. That's not us. Okay. So we go to the next section. Who we are already makes all the difference. So who are we already? We. We're children of God. Okay, and so we're, he's going to give us, this is because you are children of God, this is not a bad thing. It's coming. It's going to shock the world when it comes. 
It's going to be really, really bad news for those that don't belong to Christ, but not for you. Okay, it's not, not for you. And, and what makes the difference is who you already are. There are differences of opinion in theology. My opinion is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are moved from an object of God's wrath to an object of God's love, mercy, and grace, and nothing can take you out of that. So am I to be afraid if God's judgment is poured out on the world? No, because I'm one of his. He's got me. I'm safe. Now, does it mean I won't have problems? I could list for you horrific things that happens to Christians in this life. And you think, man, if that isn't the Great Tribulation, what is it? How would you like to have your entire family hacked to death in front of you one by one while you watched? How would you like to see people starving to death in the city of Jerusalem eating their newborn children because they're starving? There's no guarantees you aren't going to have some major shoots in your life. That's not the guarantee. The guarantee is, hey, you're mine. I'm working all things together for your good. And I have this amazing inheritance for you. That is your hope along with, in the midst of the shoot, I have given you access to peace and joy and fulfillment because I have settled in your heart who you are and where you're going. So when you're going through that, as it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, I get it. It's hard. It's a fire, but I can hang on to the hope that I have this inheritance that can never fade or spoil or be taken away to deal with that, to give me in the hope and the joy in the midst of very, very difficult circumstances, along with, as we're going to see, we saw at the end of that first passage, use these words to encourage one another. Interesting, it didn't say this at the end of uh, 18, chapter, chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It didn't say, and use these words, describing the rapture, to debate among yourselves for the rest of mankind time. Didn't say that. It said, use these words to encourage one another. That's why. So we win. I see the end of the game. This is a partial description, so I have a more of, of an idea of how it all ends up. Not so that I can understand it and control it and know its timeline and know the sequence and know exactly how it's all coming down. No, so that I can be encouraged in my heart and use that information to encourage you as well. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So we're compa comparing and contrasting a couple of different things there. Children of the day and children of the light versus children of the dark and children of the night. So what do you think those, those are metaphors? He's not actually talking about you're not asleep or you're in the light or somebody turned on the light, now you can see and, and everything's going to be good or ooh, it became nighttime and now I have to be afraid. No. What, what, what do you think? It's talking about awareness of what's true. 
So you're either children of the light, which means, and it says in 1 John, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all, and you can walk in God's light. Okay, so you are not. So it's not saying don't become this. It's not saying, oh, be careful so you don't become children of the darkness. It's not saying that. It's saying here's who you are already. Therefore, you can have hope when we talk about this day, which is going to be really, really scary for those that don't have Jesus. I mean really scary. In fact, it says people are going to be wishing for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them because they cannot stand to be in the presence of the awesome holiness of God. You don't want to be there. But he's saying, look, don't worry about that. That's not you. You are not children of the dark. You are not children of the night. You are children of mine, and you're walking in the light. Therefore... What should I do? What should I do? I'm, I'm getting the rest of the story, and I'm seeing it's kind of really scary for some. It's going to be really good. What am I supposed to do with this? So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and sober. So the sleep, again, is to be aware and cognizant of what's going on around us, Again, it's a metaphor. And then sober is to be thinking clearly about what I see. Okay, so he's not saying don't be drinking. That's not, that's not a thing about drinking. And it's not a thing about laying in bed all day. This is about your awareness and your openness and that God has given you the secret of the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then don't sleep as others do. So don't just say, okay, I, I don't care. I don't want to know. I, I don't want to even think about it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be unaware. No. So not that your status is going to change, but, but take the status of who you are as a child of God. Take the information that God is giving you in his word and be awake and, be, and understand I don't have to react the same way as those in darkness because I know what's going on. I know the rest of the story. So be sober. For those who sleep, now this was kind of an interesting aspect of this because it's almost mixing metaphors. If you go back, remember the last week we talked about surely those who are asleep will not precede those who are awake or, or alive. So back then he was, he's going he's to shift back right at the end of this anyway. But he was using the sleep metaphor for those who have already died. This is not that. So he's kind of mixing metaphors. Maybe there was a different uh, context here because it's the same word in Greek. Okay, so he says, don't sleep as others do. For those who sleep, not, not die at night, but sleep at night or who are unaware and who get drunk are drunk at night. So those that are just unaware because they're not a child of God... Or they're also unaware because their sinful behavior being drunk at night has deluded them and clouded their eyes. You are not like that. So understand, that is not who you are. You're awake. But since we already, I'm going to say already, belong to the day, let us be sober. Let us be aware. Let us look out and cognitively recognize what's going on in the world, knowing that there are consequences for not responding to the gospel message. So we belong to the day. Let us be sober. 
And then it looks like, okay, here's what I want you to do, but you have to look at the Greek words. Having put on faith, love, and hope, right? Hope of salvation. So put on the breastplate of faith, love, and, and a helmet, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. But that word put on does not mean, okay, you don't have it on now. It doesn't. It means you already have it. This is an action that is past, present, and future. And it's a continuous action. And it, says, it actually means sinking down into the garments that you already have on. Okay, so he's saying, look, you already are a child of the light. You already are a child of the day. You already have faith, hope, and love, or you wouldn't be a child of the light. And so sink down into that thing, hunker down into your, in, in your helmet and your breastplate and all those things, and recognize life is rough, but you got all the tools you need for success. So he's not saying be something else or work hard to try to change yourself so you don't end up as a child of light. He is giving us hope that we have everything we already need. We just have to keep reaffirming it to ourselves daily and, and keep remembering that we already won. Even in the midst of this horrific things that happen in this life, we already won. But we have to keep it in mind. We have to be sober. We have to be awake. We have to understand the message and not lose sight of it. That is why God gives us one another. That's why we come together partially. We come together on a Sunday because we all need to be rebuilt. We need to be built up again and edified by hearing messages of hope that come from God's Word that are true. Because the messages we're hearing the rest of the time are not true most of the time and they are not encouraging and we can see the world going to hell in a handbasket and, and good being called evil and evil being called good. And it's very discouraging. And we see these negative things that are happening in our lives and the lives of others. And it's very discouraging. And we need to focus ourselves on the hope of the cross. And so we come together and, and we hopefully we say, hey, what's going on with you? Oh, I'm going through this. Let me come alongside you and love you and encourage you in a time when you are in the valley, when you are on the chute. Because there's going to be a ladder. Eventually, let's, for, for, let, let's not forget that. Let's focus on the hope. Stay awake. Be sober. Hunker down into faith, hope, and love. And the hope he's talking about here is the hope of salvation in the day of the Lord that's coming. And it is coming. So the day of the Lord is hope and encouragement for us. And it's really, really bad news for others. So we finish it off by saying, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, so here he goes back to the other metaphors, right? He's not saying whether you're aware or unaware. That isn't going to be the test of how you end up being in heaven. It's, now it's, he's talking about whether you're already passed away, like he talked about in the last passage, or, 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 or whether you're awake, meaning alive, that you're going to live with them. That's what it said in the end of the last passage, right? In, in back and forth. And from that point on, we will be with him forever. He's going to return. He's going to call those that are his to himself. And from that point on, we will be with him forever. Now, will that mean we'll be with him living here in a thousand-year millennial reign? I don't know. 
I'm ready to hang out with Christ wherever he goes. That's the hope that we have. So, who, no, so, so Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him forever. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you have been doing. So we've got to take this hope, first of all, have it encourage ourselves, but then use it when we get together to encourage one another and build one another up. I'm going to end with this. That word there is a word that means edification. Build one another up. And it doesn't mean just say, you know, have a raw, raw pep rally. It mean, so we go, we go back to Ephesians chapter 4 where it says, and God gave us pastors and teachers and, and, and so that the body, the full body of Christ could be built up to maturity to come into the fullness of Christ. So what's my point here? Greg, I'm going to talk about that. It's okay to talk about this stuff because it's, it is part of the rest of the story. So we're going to build one another up to the fullness of Christ, which means we preach and teach and talk about the entire Bible. Because there are some that are uncomfortable with dealing with issues that are controversial. Well, let's just not talk about it. Or I don't want to talk about it. Let's just stick to the basics. And the basics are what we are all united around, and they are absolutely essential, and that's why we had our sermon series at the beginning of the year going back through our statement of faith. It's very, very good to return to the basics, to reaffirm those things that we all agree on that are essentials of Christianity, but it doesn't mean that you should avoid completely something that you maybe don't understand or it's a little too hard or there's too many different views, and it's because we're trying to be built up to complete maturity, which means I'm going to try my best to understand the full the full knowledge of the Bible. And guess what? Scholars have been working at it for, for the last 2,000 years, and we don't have the definitive answer on everything. But that's not a reason to say, hey, they've been working at it for 2,000 years, so let's forget it. We're just going to scrap uh, eschatology altogether because it's just too confusing, and there's too much prophecy, and there's too much symbolism, and, it's, and there's too many different views. And I understand those, those, those statements are true. But don't miss the hope by avoiding the subject. The hope is it all ends and it's all fixed and it's all wonderful. And if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it's all for you. So it's okay to talk about it. We don't want to argue about it. We don't want to divide over it. We don't want to you know, get real dogmatic that our view is the only one that's right. But we do want to grow into the fullness of Christ. And sometimes that means talking about things that Christians disagree about. And so practicing doing that is a good thing. How do I do that in love with an open mind so that I can talk to my brothers where we might have different views of Scripture and yet still lock arms and walk out the door saying, I love your brother, we're, we're together. Okay, that's what we need to do. And sometimes that's hard for us because we, we get a certain view of a certain part of Scripture that we've taken a certain way or somebody's taught us, and we really don't want to hear any other things about it because it's, it might rock our faith a little bit. Oh, man, I thought I knew a lot. And then I took church history, and literally, I've told you this before, I've told people in, in, in the contenders class, it took me about a year to recover from it because 
It changed some of the things I thought I knew. It's like, I didn't know they struggled with that. I didn't know they struggled with the deity of Christ. The church was having a problem with that? Well, maybe I'm wrong. So I understand that that's out there, but don't be afraid to go into the deeper parts of the Word of God simply because maybe it'll change the way you've thought about something or because you, thought, you think maybe I won't agree with, with uh, other people and, and, and we'll get into an argument. It's worth doing. So we, we need to talk about eschatology. We do. And we will. And I'm going to preach it whenever it comes up in the Bible. But don't be so dogmatic about your view or divide over it because it, it, it is indeed primarily a message of hope and a message of the sovereignty of God that he's in control of this whole thing from beginning to end. Let's pray. Dear Father, we, are, we, we, are, we scramble around like little ants on this globe that you've given us trying to figure out and be God. Well, we're not. And, and so you've given us enough in your word here about how this hall ends up that it's confusing us. But, Lord, help us to focus on that part that we see clearly that you are going to be in control, that this life as we know it's going to end, and those that belong to you are going to be unbelievably blessed. And so, Lord, help us to see that, but still have a curiosity that you gave us to search the word, try to figure out what some of this means, but don't use it to divide us. And so, Lord... We, um, boy, we struggle. So be with us. Give us faith and hope and courage to share our faith, to share, share the essentials with others so that they can become children of light, but yet continue to seek you in your fullness throughout your scripture. So, Lord, we just thank you and praise you for how you're going to work that out in, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.